Hi, welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. I'm your host, Megan Powell, along with Peg Queen. Before we get started with today's podcast, Peg and I wanted to share with you an exciting project coming to life this January called The Path, a unique practice space that includes a beautiful monthly journal, ideas for home practice, and a live online gathering to connect and support. Each month's issue will be a blend of inspiring essays, mythical stories, seasonal rituals and recipes, as well as mindful journaling. Monthly classes include embodiment exercises, chants, guided meditations, and will cover topics such as Ayurveda, self-care techniques, home herbalism, sustainable gardening, and so much more. We'll gather together on the last Sunday of each month. Information about this can be found at ashtangadispatch.com on the events page. We hope you'll join us on the path. Today's guest, I met a few years back at a yoga conference in Bali. Everyone kept saying, you're going to love Kathy Cooper. She's incredible. But I actually didn't know who they meant. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that to you today. But by the end of the week, I said to Peg, we have got to get Kathy on the podcast. She's incredible. Kathy is a longtime practitioner since 1976, actually. As you'll hear in today's podcast, she's just as devoted to her Ashtanga practice today as she was then. And that deep searching for truth has also led her to exploring Sufism, shamanism, and Vipassana, as well as practicing Jin Shin Jitsu, integrating all of this into her teachings throughout the years. In Bali, she sat with me while I was in shoulder stand, taking time to explain the internal alignment and making a very strong point of the importance of having a long Shavasana. And to this day, if my Shavasana is not at least 10 minutes, I always think Kathy would be so disappointed in me right now and would probably have something to say about it. But it was this wisdom she shared the kind that can only come from many years of personal practice, as well as seeing her, a longtime female practitioner and teacher, radiant and youthful as ever on her birthday in Bali, that had me thinking, what a gift it is, especially as a young female student myself, to learn from her stories and experience. Like she says in the podcast, there are many of us women practicing out there, so it is with immense gratitude to welcome today's guest, Kathy Cooper, onto the podcast. Hello. 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 <laughs> now, is Meg still in Australia? Or is she home? Yes. I'm still in Australia. Okay. Do you get to come home soon? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> that's that's the big question. Does she get to come home soon? Probably not. I think that mom will be able to come here before I can go to America. You're kidding. No. <laughs> it's not, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, totally fine. Like, I'm in Tasmania, so I'm not in any of, like, the areas that you hear on on the news. Like, we actually just don't have any COVID here. Um, so it's a very different experience than uh, what most of the world is going through, <laughs> which is one of the benefits of being a small island that's even smaller than Australia, which is a big island. So <laughs> we have, like, a moat that just surrounds us so we can close our borders fairly easily, but it also has its drawbacks as I can't leave. (laughs) I know. Oh my goodness. Well, that's a whole conversation in itself. Are you with someone there? Yeah. My partner and dog. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. I hear the dog. Oh, that's great. So yeah. You're sharing that experience. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm totally fine. And he probably wishes I could leave at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I was on the plane coming out to my parents' house. I was next to a guy. It was my first plane ride, really, in in quite some time. And uh, we were just talking about how everybody's experience has been so different. And I was just saying, wow, it would be fascinating down the road. I bet somebody will be putting together the stories, the eclectic stories of how we were all affected and what we were all doing. And cause it's, I feel like sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, they like have a whole different experience than I've had. I feel like mine has had, I've done pretty much what I've wanted to do, not leaving the country, but I haven't just the way it's worked out. I've had enough movement and freedom and hiking and out and about and not so much, you know, restriction somehow. Ohio has been great. I go back to California. It's tougher, I think right now, but that's okay. That's at least we can go outside. We're not stuck indoors somewhere. So, and you're in Montana. You must be okay. In Montana. I feel the same way. I feel a little bit, um, it, it has the, the seclusion has its protection and it also can feel quite isolating and almost detached or potentially unempathetic to the way other people have had, you know, experienced. If it wasn't for Megan being so far away, I would honestly say my life, you know, not traveling and having Megan apart, then there would be no, no other effect really. I yes, I told. In other words, that's always in your face that she can't leave, even if she wanted to. So I get that restriction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, we've the paradox been, is is crazy, right? Like we've had the two experiences that have been terrible, and yet not terrible. I kind of like staying home a little bit more. Oh, <gasps> this is what. I mean, I don't have any plans for teaching going anywhere because it doesn't seem to settle down enough to feel like that's what's happening. But in 2019, when I met you, Megan, that was the beginning. I flew around the world, back to Europe and back to California and then to South America, coming back the 15th of December from Buenos Aires. So I flew more than I'd ever flown. 
And I have I've flown to San Francisco to uh, Phoenix and San Francisco to Ohio a couple times. So here, you know, since then, and I actually like it <laughs> not being going so much. <laughs> so who knows? But anyway, here we are. Here we are. And it's I had such a good conversation with you that uh, day that I was very touched that you wanted to carry on. Oh, Megan and I have been talking about sitting down with you for quite some time. And during the Winniemans panel, I was like, oh, I want to hear more. Like I just you would, you know, there were there were a lot of us. So it was it was always hard. You know, time is always an issue. And so it's kind of hard to get everybody's stories in. But there are so few women available to talk to that have as many years right invested in the practice experience with the practice period that i just wanted to sit and just listen i just wanted look oh. i have my coffee and just kind of listen to yeah how how you've how you've learned how you've progressed what you've learned so can you start us at the beginning a bit and Yes, I have a story. I think I actually said I was going to tell you this because it's it really uh, it it really highlights how this trip has been. So I started in uh, 1976 in a park in Lahaina on Maui. Nancy Gilgoff would show me a salutation and then she'd leave and I'd come back the next day. And we, you know, just built on it pose by pose until I was in Bhuja Pidasana. And then this uh, man Forrest built a little um, like plastic structure, you know, that visqueen material <laughs> and old wattle trees. And we had a, a an earthen floor and there were no yoga mats then. So I had had a beach towel. It was such a pain, you know, trying. So anyway, so that was the start. And um, uh, I could go into some detail here and then tell you, because the really serendipitous part is how we learned. So we would go in in the morning. And on Maui at the time, everything was mellow, manana. And David Williams said, if you're not here at 8.30 to start, you can't come in. Oh, that confronted people like you would not believe. So we would start together. And I can't even remember. I don't think we started out. I don't think we actually started out with our mantra. We were not to say a word. And the thing I learned that it it has stayed with me in my practice that I'm forever grateful for is let's say I had a release of some sort. The intention was just to breathe it back in, bring it inside. Don't like just spew out that energy. Let it just stay in. keep bringing it back to your practice. And then afterwards we'd rest. Never a word was spoken. We'd go in this other little hovel <laughs> of a place <laughs> and lay there. And then we'd all leave quietly. So it was not really social, you know, at that time. And so David and Nancy were there for four months. And during that time, I learned all the primary series by, and it wasn't about mastering it. I remember needing help to stay balanced in Marichasana D. Then as soon as I knew the order by heart, 
they started me on second series. So within, by six months, I had all of first and all of second. Now, mind you, I did not have them at all uh, mastered, but I knew the order. So what was amazing about that? So David and Nancy went back to India and they said to us, David Swenson, who was 19, came and took over for two months as our teacher. And what was it was then it was a totally different energy. He was just like this whole sweetheart. But what was great is they said, David said to us, you go away and in two years you come back. You do first second, first series one day, second series the next six days a week. We didn't really do moon days then either. I don't think that was actually brought up. When I came back to Hawaii a couple of years later, Nancy instituted that. But before that, it was really early on, early days. So this is the part that I think is the great thing of the story. So this was before people called long distance very much. You don't, you didn't just call and chat with people long distance on your landline. It was quite expensive every minute. I don't remember, but what it was, but, and then, um, we wrote letters some, and even though we had been together for this period of time and we liked each other, it wasn't like I had a daughter, a two-year-old. I wasn't just hanging out with people all day long. I was, I had other things to do. So anyway, so David and Nancy is I wasn't in touch with them once. And in two years, all of us who had been together showed up within a week of them teaching and a week of each other. We just showed up and there we were to learn advanced. And that was how it rolled. No conversation. It all was that important in our own hearts. And that's how can you imagine that happening today? Oh my gosh, no. I, the, you hear so often people are like, oh, I just don't feel as enthusiastic or, you know, and it's been like a few weeks. Oh, my practice has been off for a few weeks and I just don't know what I'm doing anymore. And it's like this very short term. I can't imagine going two years or I haven't seen a teacher in a few months. And, you know, it, that's crazy. Yeah. And actually, then the practice was our teacher in the sense there was no one around me. And I went back to school at Evergreen State College in um, Washington State. And I had a gym and I would practice every morning in the gym and people would come to me sometimes and say, would you teach me? And I'd go, oh, I couldn't possibly teach you. I'm just, my teachers, blah, 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 you know, and yet I wasn't even in touch with them. Right. So, I mean, it was so interesting, but I was so devoted. It just grabbed hold of me. That was what I did six days a week. And when we came back to Maui, all of us together, David started teaching us to teach. He would do his advanced practice. We were teaching the the students who came and he'd kind of, Hey, do this, do that. And Nancy was also teaching with us and she hadn't learned advanced yet. David was ahead of her. And so she would do learn advanced with us at the same time. Then David would teach afterwards, would teach those of us who were then teaching the other students. So that's how we got started. 
this reminds me of like one room schoolhouses <laughs> where everybody's kind of teaching each other and you have like, you know, these students are teaching these students, but then there's a teacher who's teaching those students. It, it's like the one yeah. room schoolhouse. Yeah. And we didn't have all the poses and we didn't have all of the, um, we didn't have uh, either of the pravritas in the standing poses. We did three of each salutation. Um, we we used to do different uh, prasarita padotanasana. There was an extra one that's no that got taken out somewhere. So you know, it, and we when we I think I told you this when we spoke that when I learned first series, we only did one vinyasa. After all three Janashirsasanas, one vinyasa after all four Marichasanas. Earlier on, we did a few more vinyasas after, you know, after uh, the poses. But it was not like now, so my arms didn't fall off while I was learning. You know? <laughs> okay, I have two things. First, I noticed that you said when you use language, you say you were taught first series, then second series. Do you, do you notice that nowadays it's more like my teacher gave me this posture or I give you, you didn't use that language. It wasn't a transactional. You literally said I was taught this and then taught that. Right. And so what happened is nobody said to me, you're not ready for this. So what happened is when I hit uh Bujapit, not Bujapitasana, when I hit Titi Basana, I didn't ask for a pose for three weeks. I, you know, there, I don't know how it's done now, but um, there were a lot of parts to it that had five breaths in it. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my Lord. So I do remember, you know, going slowly at that point. And it wasn't, see, this is the thing. This is where I really have a different feeling about this. It wasn't, it wasn't a mind trip that you're good. You're not good. It's a practice. That's why we practice. We didn't perfect something. I hear this thing like, well, this is what opens you up to do the next post. I don't know if I could really say that's the truth. I'd say that's what people say. I'm not so sure that that's the truth. I happen to have an open body to begin with. So I was flexible. I got strong to find, you know, I found the balance that way. I found my breath. We were David, his method of teaching was somewhat like Guruji's, not much in the way of alignment, but Mulabanda and focus on the breath. So we always were intending to engage. And that's the safe, you know, that's your safe default. You're there, you're in your core, you're grounded there, you're breathing. And again, we had no distractions. So we really just surrendered into our practice. So I'm to this day, I'm very, very grateful for that. And we didn't expect teachers to be around to give us help once we weren't with them there. That's there weren't any, you know, so. Oh, I just think the language is so important because we you hear a lot about, oh, you shouldn't be so focused on the out, external form, the 
you know, the outside, you'll hear that, you'll read that in social media posts and things like that. But then our other languages, just like you said, well, this leads to the next one and you have to be able to bind in this to get the next one or stand up from that to go on to this series. And and so then we, our words are placing focus on that achievement of outside variables. But what you're saying is those weren't spoken to you. All that was spoken to you was what's inside. It kept going back inside. Right. And what is amazing to me, and this is this is why I feel so grateful for the way that I learned. I I think about this all the time. Often people do all of primary, then they might do all of second or they to us quite a for quite a while. It's a pretty intense practice every day, which isn't easy if you're working and if you have responsibilities. But the way that I learned because one day was forward bending, one day was back bending, one day was forward bending, one day, but it wasn't all at once. So it was never exhausting. It didn't mean we didn't work. I sweated every day, you know, Hawaii's warm. It was easy to sweat. I worked, I wore, I gave it my all, but it wasn't the same as burning myself out at all. It was nourishing. You know. Talk about serendipitous. <laughs> when I was in Costa Rica, Megan was with me. Megan was out surfing. I met Christine Hoare. So, Christine. so Megan is out there and she's like, comes back in from surfing and she's like, oh, mom, you have to meet this woman, Christine Hoare. She's like, she's awesome. And so she connects us. And anyway, Christine, I had never met before that. I was in the throes of menopause, which was so miserable for me. I... <laughs> And I think I'm a fairly intelligent, creative woman. I do. I think that, you know, I mean, I'm going to give myself some credit here. And yet it did not occur to me that I could practice differently. So I was at this loss. I was exhausted in the midst of menopause and like couldn't practice the way I was practicing, you know, all the way up until then and said to Christine, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. I just, and she explained to me what you had just said before. She said, oh, well, here, let me teach you something. And she said, after the, you know, not, not, not to do all the vinyasas, like between the Janu Shashasanas, not to do all the vinyasas, like teach, the, keep them as like little chunks of families and do vinyasa between the families. And mind blown. I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like, I like it never even occurred to me. That's how inside the box I was that even to, I call it, it's not skipping. It was just simply grouping postures that were like, and that was something Nancy Golgoff had taught her as she went through menopause as well. Same thing, a way to conserve energy. Right. No, that's beautiful. I mean, when I, I think about it, there's several elements to that, but one of them is that taking rest. I mean, I really feel like I had a mystical teaching about, um, about us. <laughs> I haven't said it so long. I feel Shavasana and people don't rest. People don't let go of their nervous systems. You don't reset. You don't lay down for a couple minutes, pop up, carry on your day, and then wonder why as time goes on, you're losing energy. 
So it's so active and we love the so active people who do Ashtanga often so that the resting time to actually surrender to letting go is harder. And that's what Guruji said the la- when I was with him uh, in India in 2006. Many people not doing Shavasana. <laughs> and so he re- he saw a lot of things, but a lot of it he let people do what they did because that's, I guess you could say that's the learning. He wasn't telling everyone, you're not doing Shavasana correctly. However, let's face it. They didn't support Shavasana in the large shala either because you had to pop up after a few. Well, you were either in the bathroom, which the changing bathroom area, which to do a real Shavasana, you know, it was just constant motion. So I used to go home. I lived down the street to take a decent Shavasana. Anyway, so that's one that's one aspect. So as years go on and the menopause hits, I think it's really devastating, you know. It it was yeah it was it was a it was a pretty horrible experience <laughs> that I learned a tremendous amount from and grew a tremendous amount from yeah. but but yeah it was it was the first time that it had even occurred to me that rest was something that was important or even necessary right because when you're young and you're strong and you've got a lot of energy. You don't think that it matters. And I feel like our early, quote, quote, uh, teaching really supported us to really allow that to happen. And then it's been able to carry through. And when I don't, I can tell immediately. I don't get as much value. But there is one other thing, and I wanted to say this last time. For some reason, it's come up. The thing I realize about this practice is that I had to really find out what it was, how I held my toe, how I held my foot, how it was that I did the practice when it was really time to shift and do it a little differently. Like, okay, I'm real like, there were times that because I told you I was a Waldorf teacher, so I would get up and there were times I'd get in there because I couldn't tell if I was going to wake up and practice or not. And there were times I didn't. I'd get in there, I'd start and I'd go, I am really wiped out and I'd have to lie down. But I couldn't know that until I really went there. Just like I didn't so much get injured, but, you know, here and there things happen. I had to discover, am I just copping out or I think I'm getting a little older, so I don't really need to do this pose this way. So that was a learning in itself. And overall, it's my mind. That's my limitation generally. When it's your body, it's real. And it's a big learning. But I'm just saying on the other thing, on the other side, to really see what's real, it's always the razor's edge. Like how much is too much? How much is too little? What are we doing? And now I think that the question, what I lived with for years, it was all a question of balance. How much of this? And, and it was an inner journey. And that nobody... Uh, you don't need anyone outside on that level. In terms of what you went through in menopause is totally different. I'm not saying no, that. Yeah, no, I totally hear what you're saying. And in fact, honestly, I wouldn't have learned as much had I not gone through it. Had I not been, you know, I think I was so used to knowing 
to be honest with you, I think I could have spouted out all the rules and told you exactly what the, you know, what the gates were and what you needed to do for this. What were the criteria for this? I had it all down and I could have like rattled it all out for you, if not performed it for you. It wasn't until menopause hit and I had no fucking clue about (laughs) anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that is devastating and it's a real loss. And at the same time, that's the path through to wisdom, right? That's the path through to this, I guess you could say third chapter of our life, you know, I mean, not that you want to be limited. You're a lot younger than I am, but that sense that it's not what it was. I'm no longer a, a, a childbearing person. I'm no longer juicy in that way. There's something else that some of that has to sublimate for something else to flower, right? Because there's this thing like trying to hold on to being the way we've always been, which I have a lot of that also. So, I mean, I really understand that. And yet the journey has been so rich, like you say, to come to a place of being present with it all and actually knowing what that is in your body, right? Yeah. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know anymore. And I used to be, you know, I used to have to know. And now even if someone asks me a question, I might, I don't know. (laughs) We'll have to see. Sometimes things take time and you know, whatnot. Let me travel back because you said something else that also triggered. You said in TT Basana, you said, I didn't ask for another pose for months. That's how it was. And I wouldn't have remembered that exactly, except that I remember for three weeks, it was by the time I got to TT Basna, I was done. Right. And so, um, and then when I say, okay, I'm ready, there was no judgment. If I, if, if my body wouldn't truly wouldn't have bent at all, I'm sure I wouldn't have been able to progress quite the way I did. But all of us, you know, we're, that's, that was our journey. We weren't fighting with our outer teachers. They were there to support us on our journey. And you have to understand Hawaii was very far away from anything. And it was so early on, we didn't even know the, the, the yoga, as we called it. We didn't even know that when it started blooming and coming all over the place, because we were so isolated. We just did our little thing and you know, and David and Nancy would go off to be with Guruji. And then I think they split up. Well, anyway, somewhere along the line, they split up. But and then I was with David for a couple of years. So then we he and I did advanced together every day, you know, without any other without without a standing pose, first or second series for five years, not once, which, you know, I was fortunate. My I could do it. That's how it worked out. And we were in Hawaii and Hawaii was very conducive to yoga. A little bit more conducive than Montana. I can, I can. (laughs) Hey Meg, does this sound somewhat familiar? Because I feel like sometimes when I tell Megan, some of my stories of learning, she kind of looks at me quizzically, like doesn't, doesn't comprehend because it's really been a lot different than how you've been yeah, I picked up on when you said um, I didn't ask about the. I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. As that's you know, like that's kind of what I would do. Um, 
I feel like I was very sheltered <laughs> coming up with this with mom because she went through everything. And then, you know, I got the, <laughs> she would just let me just, I would practice next to her and she would teach me if I was curious. If not, she would just let me do my thing. If I asked, she would teach and I would kind of just mimic and watch her and try it myself. And when I wanted to learn something new, it was just like, okay, like, great. Let's learn something new. <laughs> How old were you when you started? Yeah, it's so hard because, I mean, I was going to lead primaries and kind of like around it when I was in high school. And then I think when I started really picking up with it and was kind of college and then I guess when it developed into more of a daily routine was was right after college. So I was probably, um, how, how, when did I graduate college? 21. Well, probably 21. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when it, but it, it's actually very help. It's health because when you were saying, you know, for two years you were alone and you would just practice and that devotion was what was there and you just loved it. Um, recently just being alone in Tasmania and practicing alone, that's it's you know it's almost been two years since seeing a teacher but yet I'm always like that I just love it so like of course (laughs) exactly and it feeds you every day right on different (laughs) levels yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful so you didn't have a heavy hand telling you no or no (laughs) I don't think I don't think mom ever said no (laughs) That's beautiful. I mean, wait, outside the yoga room, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You had a different relationship in there. Sounds very healthy. (laughs) You know, it's funny because what that brings to mind, in my own personal life, you know, sorting out, finding my way, you know, I had a lot of samskara to sort through, but... When it came to the yoga from the very beginning, I had a different relationship to it than I did to it the way I operate in regular life. I never beat myself up over it. I always knew every day I knew it and I would say it. I'm doing this because I want to. I'm here because I love it. Never like, oh, I've got to do my yoga. Like it's another thing to beat yourself up with, right? So that really helps. We It's like taking responsibility, showing up hey, I'm here because I want to be here. And that is a beautiful, empowering way to practice. No doubt about it. And you know, that's the thing that you just said. I think it, like, because of the way the series is set up, because the way the method's set up, it, it attracts oftentimes people, I think, like all three of us who are, you know, fair we're high achievers we're you know we're we're that kind of people we would use it maybe as a tool to judge or critique could you know you could because we could be hard on ourselves um and that was what I saw in Megan was I knew outside of the yoga room she was one of those like she when she studied she studied I mean when she played sports she played hard and she played to win she was you know that is Megan is a driven kid. And I thought, 
let her have some fun with this. Let this be a little bit more playful and not hold her to some of the rules. Oftentimes when she was in college, she would, she would practice primary when she was getting settled somewhere. And then she ditch it and go some through something else, you know, like, <laughs> and, and that was okay. You know, you can, you can do that because she was actually learning that that's actually what it is. It's a nice routine to keep you anchored and rooted. And so she learned the essence there that this yeah. is something that helps me. And she would continually go back to it and it would, you know, become more and more. But I think sometimes, so we have these certain personalities that go into it. And then we present it in a certain way that reinforces that achievement-driven kind of personality. And then it just becomes yet another thing in our lives where we're using it to measure or achieve or whatever. And yet daily, if you really surrender, even if you just put a clock on for 15 minutes and you just lay there, just lie there you do eventually learn to let go. And that in itself, you know, brings you into that all one space that softens things, right? I mean, there's that. Because if you're just, if you go and then you lay down for five minutes and you get up and off you go, you're, you're just keeping it all. You're not surrendering, right? The surrender is the hardest part, I mean, I think. You know, so, but to surrender over and over and over and over again is the balance in that practice, in this practice, not that practice, this practice. Yeah. Switching gears. (laughs) You are so vibrant, so full of life, such an amazingly strong and enthusiastic woman. (laughs) I find sometimes, because we've talked a lot about breast and these things, and I find that women, can I ask how old you are? Oh, yeah, 73. 73. A lot of women get, I'm going to just say past 50. And start to feel a little left out, um, unseen, mm-hmm. fallen behind. I, if I hear one more time, oh, you get to a certain point and then you got, you you were given, again, this idea of given postures and now you have to give them back. Um, how did you maintain the sense of life and vitality and strength that you have now? Well, for one thing, I the practice has empowered me. I haven't I I didn't give my power to the teachers. Do you see what I mean? They were didn't ask for it early on. And when I was living in Mill Valley teaching Waldorf for some years, I wanted to go to the uh, shala in the morning. And the teachers, they're very good people, but they're from another generation. So I had already learned everything, but I felt that I was in maintenance for years in that situation because I didn't feel, um, how do I say, I felt restricted in a certain way. And yet I still did my practice. It was only my sort that I went to. And sometimes I was in there before they taught. I mean, we're allowed to go in and 
practice early. So that was okay. So overall, I, I hung in there. That it's not quite the same is that in the freedom that I was used to having. But I will say that I've always, like when I lived on Maui, I windsurfed. You know, I, I've always had, I've always been very active physically and enjoy that. I love to garden. You know, I, um, I'm not a scholar in the traditional way, but I've been learning over the many years. Like I've always been a student. I love to read, but that for years, and I always feel almost like embarrassed by it, but it's the truth in my, in my journey. I realized early on I had a lot of really amazing experiences with the yoga. Like sometimes I used to do rebirthing before I'd, when I was already doing yoga. And so the breath releases and then you don't breathe at all and the universe breathes you. It's called the end of yoga, according to David Williams from the uh, Hatha Yoga Pratapika. So I could have that happen sometimes at the end of practice where my breath, I'd be in Shavasana, it would just leave me. And I could feel that I was being breathed by the universe, total relaxation. Different, not just that, but different things would happen. So what's happened is I would read things, and then I would compare myself. And then I couldn't tell if I was trying to do arrive somewhere. I, I got confused. So for a long time, I didn't read. I could read a, you know, a spirit like about the yogis and the Himalayas, their stories or I could read spiritual books, but not anything, not the sutras, not the Upanishads, not anything. You know, I could read, you know, there's some of the stories of the saints of India, the Hindu saints. But I learned over time, I had to really find my own journey of who I was inside. And I don't think we're all necessarily Hindus who do this practice and nothing against it. I always think when I read um, Krishnamacharya, he was learned, you know, way beyond anything I could imagine in this day and age. But he didn't share what his personal religion was because that wasn't anybody else's journey. That was his. So I feel that I've been very eclectic, studying shamanism, Zen, Vipassana, all over the years, all these different things that were meaningful to me at the time. So it's, it, all of it has been towards, you know, the letting go, who am I, who am I not, you know, all of this journey and going through what I would say the big, in my 40s, especially really, and coming into perimenopause and going through samskara, samsara. And there were times that I was slugging it out, you know, just, and, and the beautiful thing would be to show up on the mat, begin, you know, practice. And then by the end of practice, this person who I thought I was when I went in with whatever my burdens were that I was doing my best to lay down by the end, I was connected to everything again, over and over and over and over. And a lot of my friends and yogis were teaching years before I taught in any larger capacity because they got out there earlier. For me, I just was working it out on every level. By the time that I got out there in a larger sense, I was 60. And what I realized is I didn't lose energy teaching. It didn't hurt my practice. 
I really learned, you know, so that's my very own individual way. And I realized I was thinking about this practicing yesterday. I thought this practice to me is a true practice because it supports us to unfold and be ourselves. If I'm trying to follow all these things of what I think I'm supposed to do, it has never worked for me other than the form, the form, the breath, the bundas have always brought me back to the present over and over. So that's why, you know, everybody, you know, it's very common today, the way people study, the uh, study everything. And I respect it, but I can enjoy it now, but I, I, I couldn't do it then. So I think that's part of what you were asking. If I'm Can you not- imagine anybody admitting that? Can you imagine like we we were like, oh, we have to know it all. What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you haven't read, you know, the Mahabharata? You know? <laughs> Why yeah, I love that. No, I read that to my fifth grade class. I love all of that. That's different than that story, don't you think that's different? Well, than- yes, but what I'm saying is, whoa, like, <laughs> we have to know everything. Yeah. We're like one of those cultures where it's just like if just say again to say I don't know or I haven't read that or I'm not as well versed or or even just to say I have to keep it simple for now. I mean, I've had I've listened to people say, Well, I came into it from for the philosophy because the asana is lower down. You know, I I entered at a the higher place. <laughs> you know, you know like, that's so funny. That's the whole way of religion in the world. The body, ugh. oh, the mind, oh, the spirit. And you know what? I think it's the opposite, and I'll tell you why. The yoga brought me more and more into my body, into my core. Where I wasn't in was the, where I had to work stuff out, just physically, mentally, emotionally. I don't buy any of that. I don't buy any of that because I don't think it's any different. I think this is our temple. I think this, I could trust the body from that way. We learn through this. This is our, how we learn. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Totally agree with you. And yeah. It's a woman's way, maybe. Maybe that's not the male way. And we try take on these things because we think that's where truth is in scholarship, which it is also. It's not trying to separate it out. But I think the woman's way is for out of the darkness, out of the intuition, out of the body, you know, the birthing, all of that. So it's I do feel as a woman that I tried to, trying to follow men didn't only work so far. I don't know how that <laughs> resonates or not, but that's <laughs> I'd like you to speak a little more to that, actually. Well, I'll tell you. Like I said, I've always loved this practice. I learned what is now all six series. And um, I, when I went back after two years and began learning to teach, David Williams always said he always taught me differently. And at the time, he wasn't into analyzing, so he never knew why. But he taught, he led me through advanced A. He practically carried my body through it. It wasn't a one by one by one. I stopped doing all the other practices and he just started moving my body around. It took a while for it to emerge, right? And then after a few years, and I think Advanced Day is my favorite practice of all. It's all 
and strength. And I just loved it. And then Advance B is a very strange series, <laughs> I think. Anyway, there's some great ones, but there's some very odd poses in that. But anyway, so... And then when I, so for years I was on my own. I mean, I could tell you some very strange stories of things happening, practicing, practicing, practicing in Hawaii, and then seeing sometimes like the reality started just disintegrating in front of me. I had things happen where I actually got a little afraid and, and tried to step back because I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it because it was so um oh i don't know i really got into it and i was on my own at a certain point practicing 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 and one day i was at my parents doing my advanced practice and one day this voice said to me you need to back off you need to find a teacher and it wasn't didn't occur to me that i needed to go to guruji it, it was that wasn't what i felt i was getting so, and I've had my Kundalini has moved different times. So I've had different experiences have been very powerful. And, you know, I feel, I don't know. It wasn't like I went to someone and said, please help me find this. I just kept doing whatever, following the guidance the best I could. But the biggest thing I will say that I've learned, I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of the things that I learned through all this is I I had mentioned this to you when we spoke that I wished I had a partner to teach with, like all lots of people do, but it wasn't what was happening for me. And so I had to go through what I had to go through to little by little find my comfort zone in teaching or just to grow as a teacher. And what I came to realize is I had to really find my own voice to, to actually own it in the world, not to just own it inside myself. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't have that comfort maybe of just um, sharing that. Yeah. Back so what, yeah. So what happened was once I kind, I've come into accepting, uh, it's not about being right or wrong, but just dwelling in what feels right to me. It just is where I'm at. I, do you know what I'm saying? It's not about perfection, even on the outside, but it's where I dwell. And as a result, I can be inspired by other people. I might learn something, you know, that's lovely. But I don't feel like I need to go outside myself as far as um, trusting myself. I've learned it's very humbling to really admit where we're at and really show up. And really be that honest, both with myself and, I don't know, to carry the mantle of this, you know, amazing practice. So that's all I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I'm older now. You know, I'm not so much the one you go to probably to learn advanced, unless it's different aspects of the practice that you're interested in. No. When you heard that voice... Where was that leading or going? I think it's because I had actually had some Kundalini experiences. And I think that um, 
it was a very clear voice. It may be the only time I ever heard this voice and it told me what to do. And I knew that I had to listen to it. So I backed off and began practicing second. And because that see for years, I only practiced advanced. I didn't do primary for years. So I started backing up, doing standing poses, doing some first, some second, you know, and because I something told me, I don't want to say I was burning up. I'm not sure. It just maybe I went as far as I could go with that. Um, I just needed to a shift. And it was before I was perimenopausal that that was happening. I feel like we say that we trust the practice in a lot of ways, but I've just listened to you now twice talk about um, when you were at TT Basana and you were like, oh, you know, I, before I waited a few months before I asked for a new posture, <laughs> right? Because you were basically to be taught something new. So you're basically kind of leading your way there, right? You were You were the one directing that kind of journey asking, you know, when you were curious, when you wanted to learn, you kind of saw it. You were also then the one who said, okay, I need to, you know, like I need to back off actually. I'm going to go back and practice second kind of drop advanced day for a bit. And, and at both those times, you know, those are big risks in either direction, you know, like you did it yourself. We don't allow students to do that, even to get to the point where you said you were burning up to feel that and to be able to feel the heat of that fire and be able to say, okay, I'm going to back up. We don't allow, I feel like in a lot of ways, and I could be talking about yoga. I could be talking about education. I could be talking about basically anything. We don't allow anymore people to take risks and kind of learn from their experience in those ways. Cause I feel like those learning experiences are really powerful, way more powerful than someone saying, I think you're going to burn out. So I'm going to pace you. And so that you never feel tired or exhausted or, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to pace you so that you never have to ask, um, to, you know, or, I'm going to teach you when I think you're ready. And I don't know, it's just like that outside variable, but we don't let people make mistakes. And when I say mistakes, I don't really mean that was a mistake. How that's that- how you learn. That's how you learn. But let me, let me say this. There are ashalas everywhere. There is India to go to. There are senior teachers to go to. It is very common to want to go and practice with, people. We didn't have that in this tradition. And for years, you know, I was just doing what I had to do to find my way as a mother. I was a single mother. I didn't, I married yoga. Once I got into yoga, the idea of getting in a relationship on that level didn't appeal to me for a long time because I found something I'd never experienced anything like this and the discovery and the discovery and the discovery for years. I still receive teachings, inward teachings. But I mean, I could remember years ago in Hawaii, Nancy was leading primary. I'm, you know, doing primary. And I look and I go, oh, oh, if I hold my feet like, oh, and they're totally 
straight across. My back opens correctly. I mean, I just, you know, whatever it is. Or if I hold, what is it to really hold my big toe with my thumb and my fingers as opposed to going around because I can't? What does that give me? What is that? And then when I studied Jin Shin Jitsu, this energy work, I found out that the big toe is where the in-breath and the out-breath uh, exchange. So holding the big toe, I started discovering was empowering for my breath in ways that I could never have known. So it's a lot of subtle stuff is it right as as time went on. Fascinating, right? Just fascinating. And this, you know, this mudra that we love, Anjali Mudra, I discovered in Jinshin Jitsu that this, when you bring your palms together, all the meridians of the body line up. So it's this harmonizing, this drawing together, this harmonizing. Instead of arms up like this, you know what I'm saying? Would we bring our hands together after we've come into a pose? Something very different is happening energetically. So these were the things that I was doing for years on my own, you know? So that's the kind of stuff that... That's when you're talking about all these different experiences that you've had in the um, the different ways you've been taught and outside of Ashtanga, from windsurfing to you know just to shamanism, right? Like all these eclectic, it can be very discouraged to go outside of one path. These things came my way. They came into my life in certain ways, and I would learn from them. But I could always bring them to my practice. My practice was never, um, nothing that I ever did uh, made me want to leave my practice behind. I could always integrate it. So all of that. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. As a teacher, I would never say to you, like some people say, I'm a runner. I love this practice, but I'm a runner. Be a runner. That's who you are. Not don't run. It's not good for you. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, or you can say, I love my Zen practice or this or that or whatever. Great. Who, you know, I think the inner journey is every single person's is uniquely their own journey. So what, how, you know, that's what I've come to as the years have gone on. And I've taken many, many risks that in some ways I wish I wouldn't have taken. What is freedom? I had to play it out. I had to find it out experientially. What, you know, to come back. But for someone to say freedom is within didn't work for me until I found that freedom was within so I don't know. Some people don't need to do those kind of things. I think we're all unique in that way. But I would never want to try and tell you that, you know, if you're on this yoga path, you're a Hindu, and therefore, blah, blah, blah. Even though I can say it's wonderful what you can learn and gain. I'm not trying to judge it, but maybe that's not that maybe that restricts you in some way or makes you feel like you're a naughty kid because you don't really want to do it or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Or maybe you're really interested in something over here, but then you take your practice to it. No. <laughs> Have you ever heard that Ashtanga is the yoga of no? Have you ever heard that? That's <laughs> not my experience, but yes. No. <laughs> you know, yours is the Ashtanga. Yours is the <laughs> The song of yes. 
of life. Do you know that I was in Amsterdam? I had been teaching in Sri Lanka and a woman who did Ashtanga, but not only, invited me to come to her little shala in Amsterdam. It was not the official whatever shala. And so people came to me and all of them had dropped Ashtanga because it was so militaristic or whatever in the main shala. I don't even know who any of the teachers were. I never met them. And I remembered thinking, and they said, oh, I could do Ashtanga the way you do it. And it made me feel very sad on one level that 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 it was so rigid that uh, they didn't love the practice, you know. And so that's all I'm saying. I And it was just interesting to come up with that over time that people had these experiences. Instead of supporting and encouraging someone, you know, there are those who, who need to be told this is the boundary i'm not saying it's all one way no I but that's it's not because of the practice it's because of their manipulation or taking over the energy or you know what i'm saying inappropriateness in the room that is different than trying to have an authentic journey right i'd asked you originally about women as they got older and losing some of that vitality in practice. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that allowing ourselves to be ourselves, that that is, it's exhausting to try to fit yourself <laughs> and be something else, right? To be, whether it's a linear, whether it's dropping things, you don't <laughs> but the more we allow ourselves to just be who we are, the <laughs> the more joy there is. I know. Do you know Oscar Wilde, that quote by Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is taken. <laughs> I love that. I think it's so funny. But, you know, I think I found I had to go through dark places in my mind, in my emotions. I did a lot of healing. I would say this practice was very healing for me. You know, because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what was running my life. I can't say I know everything that's running my life now, but I unburdened myself to the extent that I found um, a joy, right? And as I age, I'm still who I am. I'm, I'm just myself. And I did hurt my back, not in yoga. Well, a little bit. I was with an Ashtangi and we were doing advanced drinking coffee, which I never drank. And I I did something in one of the advanced poses and I could feel it. It I still could do everything. In fact, I went to this chiropractor when I got I was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado with another experienced yogi who he's not been part of the scene for years. But anyway, I and uh I had done something. I went to a chiropractor and he had an x-ray machine. He wanted to take my x-ray because I knew something was a little bit off and I didn't want him to. And he said, oh, let me take it. You know, I have it right here. So what he told me, he couldn't see a tear kind of at my SI, but he couldn't tell. But that's what he thought. I had done something a little bit. But he told me I had the spine of a 25 year old and I was 60 because I had so much space between my vertebrae. Wow. So that was one of those gifts that I wouldn't have gone looking for. So I thought that was really wonderful. So, you know, 
that was a good, that was one of the good bits of, so that came out of that. But what happened was I, because I was a gardener, I, and always was so strong. At some point I lifted a big heavy pot full of soil and I, I just compressed something and it took me a long time to undo it. But here's what I discovered. I just show up and I do what I do. So I go to Kapotasana. I had days it didn't work at all. Other days I could do it. I never said I'm leaving. This was just me. Everybody's different. I wanted to see what I could do when I was doing that pose. How far can I go? What is it? What is it in my mind? And I didn't have anything like that till I was, I was about 64 or 65 when that happened. So I, I wasn't bummed out about my practice. That was my practice. This is it. Show up. What can I do? And I learned a lot of skillfulness, how to create space and openness. And, you know, these are the things through the, that experience. And I'm sure when people have them younger, they learn a lot. And then it brings wisdom, like you said, that you can share. So we all have that. But the the point I wanted to make about this yoga path being healing, when I would go through something mental, emotional, physical, I would adjust my diet. I would adjust things. I, and it was all inside. And I would always be finding my way. I wouldn't say, oh, this practice is too difficult. I'm not there anymore. I adapted. I kept finding. And I always kept discovering it wasn't the practice. Maybe it was how I was doing it. Maybe it was my alignment. I've learned a lot about alignment. And um, even that's not a rigid thing. But, you know, what is it? I always thought that I, if Iyengar and Guruji had come together in a certain way and Iyengar had allow, allowed the extrinsic breath, the outer breath, which he didn't teach outwardly to accept to very advanced teachers, and that we had some more alignment, <laughs> it could have been a good, a good marriage, you know. There was something that you said that I really appreciated. Um, you talked about, you said discovery. And I've been thinking about that word for the past like three days now. Just And you were saying how, you know, discovering that internal world and really diving in. And there were things that, you know, dark places that you went through and that you worked through. And I found that it's, um, I really appreciate you hearing or you speaking to that. Um, and hearing that because I feel like the past year has been a lot of that for me of really discovering um, my own internal world without so much going on around me, without external eyes and deferring to someone to teach me something to, you know, I don't want to say guide me because I very much appreciate, I really have so much gratitude and appreciate my teachers and those that support me and help me. But just that internal discovery and like diving into that and not having almost not having anyone to ask and just exploring what that means to me. And I find it to be really empowering. Um, just like, whoa, and you do change things, but, but you have to be curious, you, you know, you have to discover, it's not something that someone can tell you, you have to discover it for yourself. And, and that's just such a, like a great feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like Megan, you're right. It's inside. And what is it that that you have that curiosity and you have that 
result every time you practice that you're gaining, you're learning. Now, all these years, I practice over 45 years. And what I did since this pandemic is I haven't really enjoyed just doing all of primary. Occasionally I do, or all of second. I do it occasionally. I mix them up. I have so much fun. I've never done that. And I know I'm doing just fine. I didn't do it for years. I never would have done that. So I might do um, primary through, um, uh, not necessarily, maybe Mari Chasson's, maybe John Shishasson's. Then I'll jump into second and I'll do that up to Pinchamayarasana or something. And then the next day I'll start at Mari Chasson and go to the end. And then I'll pick up at Pinchamayarasana and go to the end, whatever it is. It's been very wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. And it's not something I could tell anybody else to do, but I decided I practice long enough that if that feels good to me, it's fine by me. And it gives me something to look forward to a little bit. I never felt like I needed to look forward to anything, but I guess I do because I find, you know, I'll go, okay, I'll do this. Great. And then I'm excited while I'm, you know, putting these together and I feel like I have a great practice. So anyway, that's it's it is a discovery like and letting it be okay to uh, do it a little differently. Yeah. What a delightful podcast this has been. (laughs) So much. I feel like I had my my own personal women's panel. (laughs) Hey, listen, there's a lot of women practicing this, right? So it's nice that we have each other to uh, talk to. Yeah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to check out The Path, our new online space to inspire, encourage, and connect, where you'll receive a monthly journal, practice ideas, and at the end of each month, come together for a live online gathering. Find out more by visiting astrongadispatch.com and clicking on events. The Astronga Dispatch podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Peg Queen, along with me, Megan Powell. Music is by Mark Pilly. Thanks again. Thank you.